The greatest story ever told is a true story. It is a story of adventures, battles, kings and queens, heroes and villains, good and evil, history and prophecy. It is your story. Come join the adventure of the Bible story. Chapter 193 Jesus Describes His Return Jesus and the disciples left the treasury. The disciples probably didn't realize it, but his public ministry was now over. Only a few short days and hours remained, a few hours for him to instruct these men with some of his very last teachings as a human being. It was nearly time to complete his mission on earth. As the group walked out of the impressive, an enormous temple complex. One of the disciples remarked, Master, look at these stones and buildings. Do you see all these buildings, all these walls, and all these people? Jesus replied, A time is coming when not a single stone here will be left on top of another. This shocking statement jolted the disciples. They looked at Jesus. Jerusalem occasionally had its unrest, even violence. But such complete destruction as he was describing could only be brought about by a vicious, ongoing attack from a powerful force. It would be a disaster like nothing they had ever heard of. Jesus was saying that this destruction would include not just the main temple building, the holy place and the holy of holies, but the entire temple complex and the entire city, buildings, walls, entrances, foundations, and all. Jesus was prophesying of what would happen just a few decades later when the Jews would rebel against the Roman Empire and the Roman army would completely destroy the entire temple complex and the entire city. As they continued to walk, the disciples wondered about this amazing prophecy, discussing it among themselves. Jesus walked with his disciples up the Mount of Olives. As they looked back across the valley at the temple and the city, the disciples were still thinking of the sobering prophecy Jesus had made. When they came to a resting spot, the disciples asked him what would be the sign of his coming and what would be the sign of the end of the age. Jesus did not tell them that it would be 2,000 years before he returned. He instead answered their question, so his disciples throughout the ages would know what signs to look for that would indicate that his return was coming soon. Make sure that no man deceives you, he answered. Many people will say they believe in me and claim that they are Christians. They will say that I am the Christ, but they will deceive many. A time was coming when many people would recognize that Jesus was the Christ but they would teach different things about what Jesus taught. They would say that his words meant something different from what they actually meant. This would be a sign that he was about to return. You will also hear of wars and rumors of wars. Jesus said the time before his return would be a dangerous and violent time. But do not be troubled. All these things must occur and more before the end of the age. 
One nation will fight against another. There will be famines, breakouts of suffering, and earthquakes in different places. All these are just the beginning of sorrows. People will turn you in to be persecuted, abused, and killed. People from all nations will hate you because you follow me. Jesus was describing the great tribulation that would happen before he returned. Many people in God's true church who forsook God in the end time would go into the tribulation and suffer persecution and death. And then many people will be offended and will betray each other and hate each other. And many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will be everywhere, the love of many people will grow cold. Jesus was saying that in the future, many people in his own church would commit sins, lose their love for him, and be deceived by false teachers who said they were Christian but did not actually follow Jesus Christ. But he that will endure to the end will be saved. Then Jesus gave a very specific prophecy of something that will happen as a sign that his return was close. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached throughout the world as a witness to all nations. He said, Then the end will come. Jesus was saying that the true message that he himself taught would be proclaimed, published, and broadcast throughout the whole world. To the disciples, who knew that Jesus' message had only been preached in and around Judea, imagining his message being proclaimed around the world was electrifying. Jesus then gave more details answering the disciples' question about what people would expect to happen just before his return. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, it is about to be destroyed. Those who are in Judea at the time must flee to the mountains, and those who are in other countries should not enter into it. Jesus was saying that when Jerusalem became surrounded by armies, his people would know to run for their lives to the mountains. A few decades later, Jerusalem would be surrounded by armies and destroyed. But Jesus did not return at that time. The gospel had not been preached around the world, and other signs had not yet been fulfilled. This meant that Jerusalem would be surrounded by armies again in the future, at a time when all the other signs would also be fulfilled. The city would be destroyed again, and after that, Jesus Christ would return. Pray that your escape does not happen in the wintertime nor on the Sabbath day, he said. This indicated that true Christians would be keeping the Sabbath in the future all the way up to his return. This will be a time of great tribulation that has not happened since the beginning of the world to now and will never again happen in the future. Unless God intervenes in those events, it will get so bad that every creature on the earth would die. But for the sake of his elect people, God will intervene. This prophecy was shocking and deeply alarming. The Great Tribulation would be the most destructive in human history, destroying nearly every soul on the planet. Satan would continue to deceive and motivate people that they would continue to insist on living their own way until eventually the entire world would be destroyed and everyone would die. But just before that could happen, 
God would step in and send Jesus Christ to return with supernatural power to put a stop to the selfish, destructive ways of deceived human beings. Then Jesus returned yet again to his warning about people who would preach about him, but would preach the wrong things. Then, if people tell you, look, Christ is over here, don't believe them. False Christs and false prophets will rise up and even show signs and wonders so amazing that if it were possible, they would deceive even God's very elect people. Look, I have told you before, so if they tell you Christ is in the desert, don't go there. If they tell you Christ is hiding in a secret location, don't believe it. Because the return of Christ will be like lightning coming out of the east that shines all the way to the west. Jesus continued to give details of what other signs would happen before he returned. Immediately after the tribulation of that time, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of Christ will appear in heaven, then all nations of the earth will mourn, and they will see Christ coming in the clouds with power and great glory. And God will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together true Christians from the four directions, from one end of heaven to the other. Jesus was describing tremendous, supernatural events that had never happened before. He was giving a list of several detailed events that would happen leading up to his return. And God was making sure his words were remembered and later recorded so that true Christians across the centuries would be able to read his answer to the disciples and know what to look for to know that his return was coming soon. When you see the tender branch of a fig tree putting forth its leaves, you know summer is coming soon, Jesus said. In the same way, when you see all these events occur, know that I'm about to return. This end-time generation will not die out until all these things are fulfilled. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. No man knows the day and the hour of the return of Christ. Only my Father knows. But it will be like the days when Noah built the ark. People were enjoying themselves until the day Noah entered the ark and then the flood suddenly came and killed them all. This is how it will be when the Christ comes. Watch therefore, for you don't know what hour your Lord will come. Jesus gave many signs regarding his return, but he did not say exactly when he would return. This was so that his disciples, including all future disciples, would be urgent about doing God's work and dedicating their lives to God as long as they lived. Jesus now gave another couple of comparisons. If the master of the house knew the time frame when a thief would come, he would watch at the time and not allow his house to be broken into. He said, So be ready, because Christ will come at a time when you do not expect. Who is faithful in a wise servant, whom his master has made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? He asked, Blessed is the servant who his master, when he comes, shall find doing exactly what he was told. Then the master will reward that servant by making him ruler over all his goods. 
But if that servant is evil and will think to himself that his master has taken a long time to return and begins to abuse the other servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, then his master will come when he is not expecting it and shall punish him terribly. Jesus continued to pack more instruction into this day. Still in a private setting with his disciples on the Mount of Olives, he now taught them another parable about his return. He compared the kingdom of God to ten young women who were waiting to meet the bridegroom. Knowing it could take a while, the women all took lamps with them. But five of the virgins were foolish and did not take extra oil for their lamps. When the bridegroom took longer than they expected, they all fell asleep. A long while later, they were all awoken by the announcement that the bridegroom was finally coming. The wise young women, who had brought extra fuel, jumped up to meet the bridegroom and attend the marriage. But the five foolish women had run out of fuel. They hurried away to buy extra oil. But while they were gone, the bridegroom welcomed the wise ladies and shut the door. When those foolish women returned, they were too late. They were not welcome to the marriage. Jesus finished by explaining, Watch therefore, for you do not know the day or the hour when Christ will come. This was the fifth time Jesus urged his disciples to watch and pray. His example of the ten virgins illustrated how true Christians who were not prepared for his return were in danger. In this case, the ten virgins represented true Christians who would live about 2,000 years later, who would stop believing and obeying God. Half of them would have enough of God's Holy Spirit to repent, believe, and obey, but the other half would not. The half who repented would enter God's kingdom and marry Jesus Christ, but the others who did not repent would not be welcomed. Next, Jesus gave his disciples another parable. It was similar to his parable about the pounds, which he had used to emphasize that those who receive the Holy Spirit and other blessings from God must use those blessings, not just receive them. In this parable, however, the master gave different amounts to each of his servants according to his abilities. Five talents to one of the servants, two talents to another servant, one talent to another. The first two servants doubled what their master had given them and were rewarded equally. But the third servant, who did nothing with the talent he was given, lost his opportunity to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus went on to explain more about what he would do in God's kingdom after he returned. When Christ comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. And all nations will be gathered in front of him and he will separate them from each other like the shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, 
Come you, who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. Sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Jesus said that the righteous will ask when they had ever done all these things for him. He then explained that doing these kind acts to his brethren, true Christians, was like doing it to him. The day was now far spent. Jesus had taught many things to the crowds and many more things to his disciples. Some of what he had said they understood, some of it they didn't. Some of it was said mainly for the purpose of recording it for the future. But now he spoke something very clear, very urgent, and very troubling. You know that two days from now is the feast of the Passover, he said. Then the Son of Man will be betrayed and to be crucified. Jesus was telling his disciples that he was about to be betrayed, arrested, tortured, and killed. Meanwhile, across the valley in Jerusalem, the chief priests, scribes, and other leaders were discussing Jesus, his teachings from that day, and his criticisms of them and their religion. They talked about his teachings and his miracles over the past three and a half years, and they discussed how to kill him. These Jewish leaders then went to the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas. Caiaphas was interested more in politics than in true religion. He listened to what the other Jewish leaders were saying and worked with them to decide how to charge Jesus with some kind of crime that would convince the Romans to put him to death. Timing was crucial. They wanted to have him killed soon, but not on the upcoming first day of unleavened bread. If they did that, the crowds of people would cause an uproar and accuse them of breaking the holy day. This meant they had to seize Jesus as soon as possible. No one, not even Jesus' disciples, really understood what he was about to suffer and what was at stake for all human beings who had ever lived. Only God the Father understood. In the town of Bethany, Jesus and his disciples shared a meal with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha at the house of a man named Simon. Before Jesus finished eating, Mary came to him, holding a white alabaster box that contained a precious ointment. She took the ointment and carefully anointed him with it. Anointing was an honor given to kings. Mary honored Jesus as her king, but she also took the extraordinary step of using a large amount of expensive perfumed ointment worth about $20,000 today. 
and the even more extraordinary step of letting down her hair and anointing and wiping Jesus' feet with it, showing passionate devotion to him. This was a shocking thing for the disciples to see. They too were devoted to Jesus, but they thought Mary was being far too emotional and assertive. Why has she just wasted so much valuable ointment? Judas asked. If she wanted to use it for a good cause, she could have sold it for a year's worth of wages and we could have distributed it to poor people who really need the money. Secretly, Judas wasn't upset about the money that could have been given to poor people. He actually coveted the money for himself. But Jesus used this opportunity to teach that there were much more important things happening here than concerns about money. Why do you criticize this woman? She has done a good thing for me. He said with authority. There will always be poor people with you who will need to be served, but I will not always be with you. She has anointed my head and my feet for my burial. Jesus was again telling his disciples that he was about to die. It seemed Mary understood and believed this better than they did. He emphasized how important her act was by saying, Wherever the gospel is preached around the entire earth, this woman's actions shall be also preached in honor of her. The surprised disciples began to understand that something serious was coming soon and that Jesus was about to leave them. But it was still hard to fully understand. Eleven of the disciples tried their best to understand what was coming. They tried to see how Mary's action was not wasteful and irrational, but good and honorable. So much so that God would have it preached around the world. They tried to learn what Jesus was teaching them, but one disciple did not. Judas Iscariot did not want to learn. He did not want to be corrected by Jesus. He did not want to be humble. He wanted to be right and he wanted money. In fact, he was a thief and had been living a sinful life. Even while he acted righteous in the presence of Christ and the other disciples, Judas did not realize it. But this sin had left an opening for the devil in his thinking. And after this incident, Judas became taken over and possessed by Satan himself. On Monday morning, Judas strapped on his sandals, took his staff, and plunged into the crowds of people heading for Jerusalem. Making sure Jesus and the other disciples were nowhere near, he went to the temple and asked to speak with the chief priests. Who are you? One of the priests asked. He looked at Judas skeptically. This was a busy period in Jerusalem, and this small town man seemed to be wasting his time. You are seeking Jesus of Nazareth, Judas said. The priest's eyes widened. Yes, we are. You know him? Judas nodded. What will you give me to lead you to him? The priest looked at some of his assistants. This was a blunt, evil way to get what they wanted. 
but they were willing to do it. He talked with his aides and some of the other priests. Then he told Judas, If you really can do it, we'll give you 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. To betray anyone in return for money is a terrible, evil thing to do. But Judas was betraying Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, and he was doing it as if Jesus was a slave whom Judas was selling to the priests. Judas walked down the steps out of the temple. He was looking for Jesus and for the opportunity to betray him. To be continued in our next episode and continue the adventure by reading the Bible story. Find it under the Resources tab at pcg.church.